Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 247. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach, and today with a side of wrestling as well, because I'm here with Anthony Burchak. Anthony, how are you doing, man? What's going on, Mr. Kwan? Oh, nice rhyme. I love it, man. Glad to have you here. I'm always happy to talk to elite wrestlers. I am super excited to pick your brain on this. Before we get into it, though, why don't you tell everyone just a little bit about who you are? I mean, I think many people are probably familiar with you already, but just in case, why not do a quick intro? You know, I I keep thinking that people would be familiar with me, but I forget, like, I kind of started MMA a little bit earlier than, you know, everybody was jumping on the bandwagon. My name's Anthony Burchak, El Toro. Um, from Tucson, Arizona, uh, born and raised here in the Southwest. My mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu journey started through wrestling. So uh, I've wrestled since the age of four years old, you know, gone to Fargo, gone to all these national tournaments in Pocatello, Idaho, you know, uh, Billings, Montana. And, and it kind of just carried me through, you know, school. My my father passed away when I was like four years old. So So my mom tried to keep me active with wrestling. Uh, try to keep me around a lot of positive role models, a lot of, you know, uh, you know, strong coaches and they could lead me and grow me into a young man. Uh, my uncle, Art Gonzalez, was my wrestling coach for very many years in middle school, into high school. And, you know, I, I, I played a lot of different sports, but wrestling was just something that I was way better at. You know, it was obviously I was kind of a smaller statured guy. So uh, the weight classes obviously, you know, were beneficial to me you know, playing football, you're with, you know, bigger kids and all that. And it's kind of, you know, disheartening to be a little guy that likes playing the game, but, you know, isn't getting the results that you want. So wrestling was definitely something for me that was an escape from, you know, from reality and kind of the things of, of, you know, getting bullied and, and, you know, uh, you know, just being (laughs) one of those small runt kids. So into high school, you know, I was like 98 pounds soaking wet coming in as a freshman. Uh, and I, I still, you know, still set a couple records as a freshman, uh, most victories as a freshman coming in, most falls, most, uh, most technical falls. I think I had the, the record at the time in 2001, uh, my record was like 28 and 13 as a freshman qualified for state, uh, lost early rounds. And then my sophomore, junior, senior year, uh, I was a three time, uh, state Arizona state medalist. My junior year, I made it to the finals. Uh, against a three-time state champion here and and then my my senior year I got injured pretty bad uh, about a week before uh, sectionals and state I still made it to the state tournament still made it to the semifinals um, and that injury started flaring up a little bit and I lost in the semis and ended up taking third my senior year the the records that I set and the things that I did it were were already you know enough to get me a wrestling scholarship 
ended up having a couple offers uh, to go out of state, but I stayed here at, at Pima Community College and had teammates, uh, you know, like Jamie Varner, uh, Brett Vibber, Jesse Forbes, uh, Dominic Cruz, you know, Drew Fickett was uh, a couple years before me who would end up being my my coach later on in life. But, you know, all those guys were kind of fighting and doing MMA, you know, on the border of like Arizona and New Mexico. And to me, I was like, whoa, you guys are crazy. Like, I could never see myself doing that, you know. And then um, as I got a little further into college, I got signed by Grand Canyon University, uh, which was Division Two at the time, and then would turn Division One my senior year. And then I was teammates with Efren Escudero, uh, who was the Ultimate Fighter Season 8 winner. Uh, and I got to be able to follow him around and did all his video production stuff. Video editing, video production with an emphasis in graphic design was my major. So I was able to follow him to, you know, his Muay Thai, his, you know, kickboxing, strength and conditioning sessions, obviously the wrestling. And then I, I found his jujitsu practice very, very interesting because it was, it was wrestling, right? But, but it wasn't. In my mind, I'm like, wow, this looks easy. Like I could probably do this. So once I was done with college wrestling in about 2008, I, I searched out Drew Fickett again. He owned a gym here in Tucson. Drew showed me, you know, like, hey, the wrestlers, you know, are the sharks of combat sports. We've, we've never had to evolve. We outposition everybody. We can dictate when the jujitsu starts. And like, it, it was just a, a cool thing. So I started training at, uh, under Drew Fickett. Um, and his, you know, specialty was, you know, taking people's backs and rear naked choking them. He was an, another, you know, college wrestler turned, you know, MMA fighter. Uh, and obviously, you know, his jujitsu was a specialty. So, you know, him having, you know, being my first coach was, was an incredible thing because he already had the wealth of knowledge of being, you know, in the UFC, uh, fighting in the MFC in Canada. You know, some of his opponents, right? Kenny Florian, Kurt Pellegrino, Nick Diaz, like all those guys that I was looking up to. I remember when I was wrestling in Iowa at William Penn University, I walked into my buddy's dorm. I could hear a bunch of ruckus going on. Everybody was cheering. And I remember it was Drew Fickett versus Josh Koshek. And I was like, holy shit, I know that guy. And just then, Drew launches that knee and knocks out Koshek. You know what I mean? It was like a, everybody was cheering for Koshek. And as soon as that happened, everybody went quiet. quiet. And I was like, yeah, Tucson boy. All right. So, uh, it was a cool moment kind of to bring everything together, you know? And then, you know, at that time while I was wrestling at William Penn, my teammate was, you know, Cameron Usman, uh, Abel Trujillo. And there was another guy there named Brandon Graham that ended up fighting for Bellator. But we had a lot of uh, tough guys. And all the wrestling teams that I was on, I would later be into the UFC with guys like Danny Martinez, who was, you know, Tachi Palace champion, came through WEC, made it to UFC. So, I was always around, you know, somebody that was going to be later in the industry with me. And, and I always felt like it was kind of Providence, you know, me and Henry Cejudo grew up together, training together. You know, he was a little younger than me, uh, but just being able to watch his journey while I'm doing mine, like it was, it was an incredible thing. So this Rubik's cube that was jujitsu kept coming around and biting me in the ass, you know, and I, I wanted to really master it. And I, like I said, when I first saw it, it looked easy to me. And I was like, why can't I get this? Why am I getting subbed by these guys? Why is this happening? And every day I would tell them, like, my jujitsu instructor would be like, how was it today? I was like, I fucking hate it. I'll see you tomorrow. You know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> I hate this. Like, I don't like it. And, you know, I would come back day after day because, you know, I, I kept telling him, like, now I think back, like, I was uh, probably like a shitty purple belt. 
And I just got my karma recently from one of my purple belts. You know what I mean? But I was that purple belt be like, I don't understand this shit. Like, I don't get it. Like, this doesn't work. Like, and, and I'm sure I broke my black belt heart like every single day, you know, because the potential that I see in the guy that, you know, just kind of gave me my karma was, I'm sure the same potential that my black belt saw in me. And I ended up getting heel hooked in my UFC debut by Ian Entwistle, which that's his only claim to fame is he heel hooks everybody. I think the one guy that like set the game plan for how to end it was Dan Hooker. And Dan Hooker got put into 50-50 and just elbowed him into oblivion until Ian tapped. So I was like, oh, I'll just do that. Uh, I ended up getting stuck in the heel hook. And I remember like I was doing privates with, uh, you know, the BJJ Revolution black belt that was here in town at the time. He was charging me like 180 a session. Sometimes he wouldn't show up. Sometimes he was just like, oh, yeah, you just have to to hole out and, and grab his grippies. And, and I'm like, dude, like this isn't technique. Like I knew at the time this isn't technique. This is just trying to survive and mitigate the problems, you know, on a on a very minimal level. So. I, I met Coach Casey Halstead at my second UFC fight, which was supposed to be Joe Soto. And that was at UFC 177 when Joe Soto stepped in for Hennon Burrell and ended up taking TJ Dillashaw all five rounds. Coach Casey was like, hey, man, so I got this event coming up. It's called Super Roll Weekend. Um, it's during the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Super Bowl obviously is on Sunday. We're going to do something Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I would love for you to come teach a seminar. I was like, Coach, I'm just a shitty purple belt that knows how to wrestle good. Like, I don't, I don't really know, you know, jujitsu. He's like, well, you've submitted like seven dudes in your, you know, your pro MMA career. He's like, well, you know, you got to know something. So I went and did a seminar for Coach Casey at 10th Planet Las Vegas. Meanwhile, I'm still BJJ Revolution at the time. And I, I'm, I'm like really, really kind of imposter syndrome because at my session of the seminar, it was three days, three instructors a day and me and boogeyman were on friday and we had like 90 people at our session so like imposter syndrome kicking in really heavy with me i see i got splurgio from barry yoshida's i got barry yoshida's heavyweight i got you know geo boogie john boteo who's like an og 10th planet black belt i got all these dudes and i'm like man i, I can't be teaching these guys anything that they don't already know after the seminar coach casey was like bro, that was outstanding. He's like, I just want to put you on some game. He's like, you, you teach 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, but you just got your wrestling names for them. He's like, if you could come 10th Planet Fluid, we could get you, you know, to open up 10th Planet Tucson. And I was like, man, that's crazy. You know, like I've always wanted my own gym. At the time I was running a, an MMA program out of Northside Jiu-Jitsu here, which was the Aries and BJ, well, it was BJJ Revolution. Then it was Gustavo Dantas. Then it was Aries. And I was like, man, this is, this is pretty much exactly what I want to do with the rest of my life. And, and coach Casey, you know, said, well, let's do it. And the, the rest has been history, man. I, I devoted myself to jujitsu. Well, that, that's amazing, man. And I want to expand on this a little bit. I mean, your background, your pedigree, especially on wrestling is something I think very relevant to most grapplers. I think every grappler out there understands the importance of wrestling, but most jujitsu people their wrestling is just subpar compared to someone who comes in from that wrestling background, which I guess is to be expected. Um, but tell me a little bit about these concepts that you'd applied here. I mean, 
I agree with you. A wrestler with a bit of jujitsu, at least enough to stay out of submissions, is a really dangerous combination for their opponents. And I think that most jujitsu people, even the high level black belts, stand to gain a lot by cross training with more wrestlers. But you talked about some concepts for wrestling that that were really helpful. And maybe some these are some of the things that you'd been teaching. What does your playbook look like in terms of the stuff that you teach that's super valuable to everybody? Yeah, so with with ADCC in mind, right? We've been we've been doing this, this training camp since uh, probably like six months now. You know, since the the Las Vegas, the last Las Vegas Open, so maybe even more than that. That happened in September, right? We're already in July, so probably more than that. But I knew there was going to be an Open that came to Phoenix, and I've been trying to get all my students. I got twenty four of my students signed up for the ADCC Open in, in Phoenix. So when we go, when the reason the wrestlers don't take to jiu-jitsu very well is because being on our back is considered offensive right when in in wrestling we want to avoid being on our back for adcc it's been perfect for us to for me to go back to my roots and reinforce just hey if you're getting taken down give your best effort to defend the takedown but when you feel like it's been lost turn to turtle position which is referee's position in wrestling right and that negates the points hey if you're on your back and you feel like you're getting, you know, your guard passed, as soon as you can no longer fight it, turn to turtle position, go to referee's position. All we're doing is avoiding getting pinned again. And me being a college wrestler, now my student base that is attracted to me is former college wrestlers, former high school wrestlers that didn't get college offers, that the competitive fire is still burning within them, right? So like the concepts I've been reinforcing now is... I'm trying to get wrestlers to be comfortable from sitting on their butt and wrestling up using the opponent's guard pass on top to easily get single legs and go to our belly and then kind of just slide to our knees from there. And a uh, man, I've had such a great response from, you know, guys that are, you know, not only not athletically inclined, but just were kind of terrible wrestlers in high school, you know, and it's like, my my biggest one of my one of my first black belts calls it the Burchat curse. And what I do is, or in times past, I would look at this this wrestler that was just a phenom stud, athletic, funky guy, and I'd be like, "Hey man, I'm going to turn you into the next great thing. I'm going to get you to the UFC." And those guys, they're like, "Yeah, yeah, I want to be the next UFC champion." And then once they realize exactly what it takes to to get to that level, they they burn out. You know what I mean? And it's the classic uh, blue belt blues, and they walk off. So. My my whole thing now is I'm paying attention to the band geeks, the nerds, the AV club guys, the chess club guys, the dweebs that nobody ever would have invested time into or they wouldn't have sat at my table at lunch in high school, right? Like I'm focusing on those guys and the results I'm getting with them are far greater than any of the super talented, you know, uh, athletic guys that used to walk into my gym and I would immediately give the attention to. So Lately, uh, this last, my, my son, my eldest son just is in high school. So we went through his freshman year of wrestling and I really, really, I haven't coached or really done wrestling for about a decade prior to him getting into high school. Once I was the assistant coach at his high school, they're, they're a super powerhouse for football here in Arizona. It's called South Point Catholic High School. Um, they're, the teams are ranked in the nation. Bijan Robinson is the was the number one running back in the nation. He was a first round draft pick. Just got drafted to the Atlanta Falcons. He's from South Point, so I was ended up 
at, as their their assistant wrestling coach. And just being able to get back to teaching a high school level kid from the age of 13 to 17 made me realize like how much stuff that I need to go back and teach my jujitsu guys. I have to teach, you know, these 25 year old people, even the 45 year old men who are doing jujitsu for fun and hobby, how I would teach a 13 year old to a 17 year old. And the way that I've been like, just kind of going back to everything I'm I'm really really super optimistic, and I can't and I'm, I'm anticipating that having tremendous performances at this ADCC tournament. But yeah, kind of kind of the the concept that I've been playing with, right? Is when you're the most dominant wrestler, there's two things that are going to happen, right? You're going you're one you get to dictate when and where the jujitsu takes place. Okay, so for example, if I'm warming up and my opponent is across from me. And I'm warming up much like a wrestler does, slapping my thighs, slapping my chest, you know, kind of just head faking and snapping and hand fighting. He's going to probably be in a butterfly stretch, like looking over at me like, I do not want to fucking wrestle this guy. I'm just going to pull guard. Okay. I immediately get to dictate right then and there that that jujitsu takes place immediately. Right. If that guy has a little bit of a wrestling background and he wants to stay on the feet with me for a little bit, I'm going to show him with my you know, clubs and posts and superior hand fighting that he's outgunned. I'm also going to make his neck and back very tired by putting weight into his head and neck, by moving him around, by, you know, hitting half shots, getting in on legs just for him to defend, not to completely be offensive, but for him to expend energy during the defense. And now maybe when he's enough tired, I get to fully get a takedown. And now I've also dictated when that jujitsu starts again. Um, and then lastly, I've gone, I'm a high level wrestler. I hadn't gotten taken down in jujitsu from the time I started till the time I met Rafian Stotts, which was 12 years in the game. I never gave up a takedown point in jujitsu. Uh, when I, when I grappled Rafian, Rafian took me three down, three times in one match. And I was like, just livid with myself for allowing that to happen. But then, you know, once I processed it, Rafael Stotts is a three-time NCAA Division II national champion. I'm not going to be able to out-wrestle everybody. But what I did in that match was I sat down when I realized I couldn't take him down. I allowed him to step forward and step his leg between my guard. And he brought me the single leg. And I was able to wrestle up and sweep and do stuff off of that. So, again, I got to dictate when the jiu-jitsu started. So that's kind of been the concept that we've been playing with so far leading up to these ADCC open. I love that idea because I guess the common knock against jiu-jitsu, especially in the MMA environment, is that it is traditionally looked at as kind of passive, right? You're waiting for the person to bring the fight to you. And there's so many embarrassing examples in MMA of where the person on top just had the intelligence not to wander into the person's guard and just nothing happens, right? That never goes well. But I love this idea of using jujitsu and wrestling together so that you can use your wrestling to determine when the jujitsu starts and to kind of control that position. I think that, you know, you talked earlier about kind of <laughs> the, the band camp nature of jujitsu and how it attracts a lot of people who are not pro athletes. Maybe they're not super athletic, but they can be incredibly effective at jujitsu. I'm an example of that. I mean, I was never an athlete. I discovered jujitsu later in life as a hobby and I fell in love with it. And one of the cool things about jujitsu is that unlike wrestling with jujitsu, you can practice and even compete into that well into your elder years if you want to. 
But if you just practice jujitsu alone, you do run the risk of falling into that overly passive game plan where you're just way too happy to seed the bottom position. I love what you're talking about where you're using the wrestling to kind of determine where you get to go. And that way you can choose to play jujitsu when you want to. And you can also switch back and forth, right? Very confusing to someone if they think that you want to play bottom and then you single leg them and wrestle right back up to the top. Yeah, I have a funny story. This this uh, this brown belt came in from Colorado and he was like, uh, he wrestled in at a D2 school there called Colorado School of Mines. Um, he's probably about 175, 180, and I was probably maybe like around 145, 150. And he came to me, he goes, hey, someone told me you guys were the wrestling school in Tucson. I was like, yep, you got it. And he's like, cool. He's like, what do I do? I just signed the waiver, dude, come in. When He's like, can I get a roll with you? And I go, yeah. So, uh, you know, he got a roll with a couple of people. I got a roll with a couple of people, and he came up to me. And, you know, we slap bump hands on our feet and I sit down and he was like, wait, what? And I, at, before he even got the words out, I blast double him from my ass all the way to his shoulders onto his back and past his guard in midair. And I was like, it, it's different. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, it's a different type of wrestling, bro. Like, yeah, I can take you down on my feet, but I'm going to show you a different hand. I'm going to say, look over here. And then immediately when you're trying to figure out I thought you were going to wrestle with me. I am wrestling with you, but it's when I say I want to wrestle. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you bring that up. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not a wrestler. I'm not super athletic. And so, especially in the gi where I train a lot, it can be really hard to score a clean takedown in the gi because the grips can just, I mean, if the person grabs you, they can just lock you in position. And I spent a lot of time just getting frustrated because in the gi, I would try to shoot a double and it would just get so easy for the person to stuff it. But then at some point I realized, you know what, if I just sit down and then wait for them to think I'm playing guard and then just get my ass right back up again, that's super effective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no rule saying you have to stand up all the time or sit down all the time. It's kind of like a level change, but just an extreme level change. That's exactly what I was going to point out, right? Is like we're always trying as wrestlers to have lower hips, uh, a lower center of gravity, to, to get their center under their center of gravity, right? Well, what's the best way to do that? Literally, I, I have um, a drill and I, I'm, we do it in the gi all the time, you know, or, or well, I say we, we've done this in the gi because I'm a, traditionally a gi guy. I made all the way to fourth degree purple belt in the gi. Um, it's called a box sit up and it's kind of just where your left foot, knee is bent, your right foot, and you're kind of sitting on your right butt cheek and you just bring your hips up forward. Then you rock back and you switch that box stats and you bring your hips up forward. That is one of the warm-ups that we do to prepare for us coming up into a single leg, coming up into a double leg. A lot of hip switches from like a uh, hurdle or stretch. Um, I, I would have to show, but I, I'm trying to give you guys, uh, give the audience a concept of what we're doing with our hips and knees while we're trying to bring our chest and hips up and erect our spine making sure that our head's up, our back's straight, and our knees are bent and ready to explode into the takedown. But yeah, I mean, again, jiu-jitsu is one of the, it's been one of the strangest sports that I've come across because in every other sport, you have to, you know, there's tryouts, there's wrestle-offs, there's, there's things where you compete against your own teammates uh, to get the number one spot. And I've noticed now that when I've done these like quintets and I and I have four brown belts at 135, I'm like, okay, you guys are just going to fight each other in the gym. They're like, well, we do that all the time. I go, I understand that. But now it is a competition and there's stakes on the line. And guys get their feelings hurt all the time. You know, like, 
well, I, I'm a four stripe brown belt. He's a, he's a brand new brown belt. And I go, I understand. I go, I don't do this jujitsu game with the old school mentality of I'm going to bow out to you. I do it as the best guy gets to play. I go, and if you've never wrestled in college or if you've never wrestled in high school, you never had to wrestle off for your spot. You'll never understand this concept. And I go, but we're making the best lineup possible for us to win. So I, I kind of have this conversation. I got in an argument with a couple other like uh, 10th Planet Black Belts, you know, because I wanted, I, I felt at the time I was the best pick for 10th Planet at 135, 145 combat jujitsu spot. But Eddie makes us go to HQ and do a HQ qualifier. The HQ qualifier is only EBI rounds and not combat jujitsu. There's no strikes allowed. And my point was, I go, look, there's a lot of guys in the system that are better at me at purely EBI, right? And they're going to heel hook me and they're going to do all these things. I go, but if you allow me to strike these guys, you're going to have the best guy in at combat jujitsu. And everybody was like, the, the most outrageous one that I heard was, you think your UFC re resume, it automatically qualifies you for combat jiu-jitsu? And I said, yes, 1,000%. 1,000%. And I said, here's the thing. I go, a lot of you guys were fucking nerds in high school. You learned jiu-jitsu and then you got cool. I said, I'm a pro athlete. I was already cool. I learned planet jiu-jitsu and then I got good. We are not on the same... A lot of these guys that never got, even Gordon, Gordon kind of has little dick energy, right? Like he was a kind of a fucking dweeb and everything he does, if he was an alpha when he was younger, he would be an alpha now and he wouldn't need to talk a lot of the shit that he talks. Everybody knows he's the best in the world and he still acts like he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got to prove it to everybody. That's like, that's like nerdy high school shit when you got picked last on the playground all the time. And then all of a sudden you had this glow up, this this black swan thing where you blossomed into this giant Adonis now. And now you're like, yeah. And like, it's just, it's all ego. And I was already, I, I had already been, you know, a, a high level performing college athlete. I've already performed in, in front of audiences of 20, 30,000 people there to watch, you know, the, the Fargo finals or the Las Vegas finals. Like I've already been there. So performing in front of the UFC or Bellator, that wasn't anything new to me. But some of these guys don't in jujitsu, they get famous really quick and they don't know how to under, like, they don't know how to absorb that shine. So their ego gets a little bit out of place. And I think there's a, a weird, like, shift happening right now where they're all realizing, like, if Bo Nickel decides to do ADCC or uh, if, um, what's his buddy's name? Man, he's out there at B team every once in a while. It's on the tip of my tongue. He did ADCC East Coast trials. He didn't do very well. He made it, I think he made it to like the 32, but he ended up getting, uh, he ended up getting caught and beat by, by somebody that was far superior at jujitsu. So not all wrestling translates to jujitsu, right? And I always tell this to, to, to guys in, in high school, wrestling will always make your jujitsu better. Jujitsu will never make your wrestling better. Okay. So there's guys like Bo Nickel and God, I can't think of his other name, but there's a, uh, not, not Nolf, but Nolf's another guy. They're all coming over to jujitsu and they're still running into the same problems that wrestlers run into getting caught in a guillotine, getting caught in an anaconda, getting caught in some sort of front choke or a leg lock. Now, my style of wrestling since I was very young was very funky, unorthodox wrestling. And if you look at what 10th Planet Jiu Jitsu is, it's funky, unorthodox jujitsu. 
So they they meshed perfectly. And I think kind of the concepts and things that I've been that I've been developing since like 2015, 16 when I first got into 10 Planet. Uh, Coach Casey wanted me to film a bunch of videos called uh, we have obviously mastering the system, which which uh, Master Eddie has out of HQ. We have uh, mastering the warm ups, um, which was done in Melbourne, Australia, by by Master Frank Barca. Then uh, a group in Austin did them, and they're all flows, right? Which basically there's 32 pit position recognitions in jujitsu. In any of the 10 planet warm ups, you're going to end up in one of those 32 positions during any given roll. And you're going to have three to four answers of what to do offensively and defensively while you're in that position. I was developing mastering the wrestling, which was exactly the same thing from the feet, from the butt, wrestling up, wrestling down. There is top-down wrestling as well. I still want to want to post, club, uh, you know, hand fight, wrist drag, arm drag, somebody that is sitting down in, you know, open guard. I still want to do those concepts. I still want to try to pull his head between his knees. I still want to lift his feet. I still want to leg drag, arm drag. All those things are still happening. I think the style of wrestling that I possess is funky enough for traditional wrestlers to understand and new enough for the nerds, the dweebs, the band geeks to kind of wrap their head around and get excited about the creativity that's happening. So again, I, I love jujitsu is one of the weirdest collectives of people. Like I said, it's it's a bunch of people that would have never hung out in high school, all uniting and coming together through one common, you know, thing of enjoying grappling. Yeah, it's something I've I've talked about before, which is that uh, in a lot of ways, jujitsu is it's less of a sport sometimes and more of almost like a lifestyle. I mean, it sometimes it feels like it's got more in common with yoga than anything else, because even though it does have this combat sport element to it. A lot of people are really more into it for wellness, right? Or or just fitness or 1000%, 1000%. Yeah. And I think that's where it it's interestingly different from other sports like wrestling. I mean, no one gets into wrestling as a hobby, right? People get into wrestling because they want to wrestle and they want to win, but you're going to get a lot of old ass moms and dads who go into jujitsu just because they want a fitness class they can go to on Saturday. And, and that is one of the beautiful things about jujitsu, I think, is that it's so open and accessible to everyone. But you're right that the problem is that that kind of jujitsu laid back mentality, it can be very, very seductive to people from other other sports. And I've always thought, you know, a, a wrestler with a bit of jujitsu is going to be way more dangerous than a jujitsu fighter with a bit of wrestling. Yeah. And I, I try to I try to explain to my students like I have a like two or three rubber guardians that are they 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 really can't wrestle. And I always tell them, I, what I need you to do is be a sheep in wolves clothing. And what I mean by that is, like I said earlier, where the jujitsu guy is going to be sitting on his butt, pushing his thighs down in like a butterfly stretch, getting ready for his match, or he's kind of just moving around nice and slowly. If you're warming up with a little bit more intensity than the average jujitsu guy, and you're kind of moving like a wrestler, you don't have to be a wrestler to move like one. You need to understand the movements are going to be scary in themselves. If you come out and you post and you club on somebody and you head snap and you knee tap and you arm drag, that person is going to go, holy shit, this guy can wrestle way better than I can. He's immediately going to sit down. You might know, you not know dick about wrestling, but how to hand fight properly. And that's going to scare them enough that he's going to sit down. Now the jujitsu begins. Now the thing you're good at, passing guard, moving, you know, isolating ankles, beating the knees, all those connection points. Now you're in a, in a realm that you're familiar with 
and the jujitsu can begin. But he had to sit down because he was afraid of getting taken down, launched, you know, getting, you know, IG highlighted. And I say, you guys have to be a sheep in wolf's clothing. You don't have to be the wolf, but you got to fucking look like one. Yeah, yeah. I love that mentality because in in the gi, especially, takedowns can be real hard, especially if you want to go for a single or double just because of the fabric. But if you can convince someone that they're going to get taken down before it even happens, you can save yourself a lot of energy and then advance right to the passing game. Exactly. One and the, and that's that's the second concept of our system, right? Is like everybody knows 10th Planet Tucson is the wrestling moon. 10th Planet Tucson and 10th Planet Las Vegas. Coach Casey's my black belt. He's out there at 10th Planet Vegas. He's running, you know, more of an MMA game, obviously, because he has all the UFC fighters there, Bellator fighters, PFL fighters. So it's more of an aggressive top-down 10th Planet. Same with us. We're a bunch of, you know, former college wrestlers, former high school wrestlers. So our technique is top down not so much bottom up death from below the fear in itself is going to make them duck like they're gonna they're gonna second guess themselves all the time and the past thing right after that is if your wrestling is 100 or if your fakes of wrestling is 100 then the next thing that needs to be 100 is your passing right because if your wrestling is shitty but it looks good the next your your passing cannot be anything less than that and that's why People are like, well, coach, what's your best move from guard? I go, I haven't been in guard in, I don't know, five years. I, I don't know. I can't even remember the last time that I was in a match where I had to be on my back. When Rafion took me down, he never put me on my back. He only put me on a hip. And, you know, I was able to kind of get to like Z guard, knee shield and kind of sit up anyways. I go, but I never had to establish a guard. So uh, when... When you're thinking about that, and I know guys aren't going to want to be on the feet with me. There's there's really nobody that's going to be on the feet with me. I got one kid in my bracket for ADCC Phoenix that I'll think is going to try to fuck around and wrestle with me. His name's Dol- uh, Dorian Olivares. And the kid's like ranked number one in the nation for freestyle um, or number two in the nation for freestyle out of Texas. Uh, he's at B team. He's a young 16, 17-year-old kid. He just won the the Dallas ADCC Open, and he signed up for 65 kilos here in Phoenix. Um, and I was looking at him. I'm watching the match between, like, I, I don't know if you kind of uh, followed that B-team did a traditional wrestling match, and it was Nikki Ryan versus Dorian. That was the match. And, you know, Nikki Ryan's not a traditional wrestler. You know, he knows what he's known from John and from, you know, just training at Henzo Gracie with a couple of the wrestler guys there from New York. But he's not a traditional wrestler, and he gave that kid a, a really good run for his money. So I think a traditional wrestling-based guy with good jiu-jitsu is probably you know, going to be able to edge him out. I think, um, I think the thing is, is if, if you're going to be a dominant wrestler and, and you know that 95% of the guys are going to pull guard, you should be working on your passing. Obviously, keep your wrestling sharp because there's always a Rafion Stotts around the corner, but keep your passing the sharpest because no matter what's going to happen, you're one going to get a takedown and you need to pass, or he's immediately going to pull guard and you're going to need to pass. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some interesting things about jujitsu and you kind of touched on them earlier that I've always thought are a little bit, you know, man, if I had a magic wand and I could change the sport, there's a few things I would change. One of the things I've always thought is weird is how takedowns and sweeps under IBJJF rules are worth the same points. I've always felt like takedown should be worth more. I felt like the only reason why they're equivalent is because jujitsu people want to promote the guard and so they want to incentivize the guard. 
But I, man, I would much rather just put someone on the floor than put myself on the floor and dig myself out of that hole, right? It it's always seems strange to me that we prioritize these things these ways. And I'd love to know from your perspective, are there any things about jujitsu and about the rule sets and the way that people train that you think leads them to make, to play and develop these weaker takedown games? Cause that point thing is one thing that's always stood out to me. Yeah. Let's, let's look at, let's look at the simple fact that passing guard is worth three and a sweep is two, right? So if I pull guard, okay. And you pass my guard. Okay. And, and time is what's like, was the eight minute match for adult. So it's seven 50 and I sweep you and I can't pass and I get an advantage on an almost pass, right? Who wins that match? The person that, that passed the guard, they won three, two, right? So, so why, why, you know what I mean? Like, obviously the guy, the guy that was trying, if, if that's some, if the takedown should be worth three and a guard pass should be worth two, a sweep should be worth two. You should allow the next move to, to at least negate the previous move. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. It because of the way that the point system works, if you go down the traditional path of um, you know, either taking down or sweeping and then passing and then getting to mount or back mount, you've basically created an insurmountable point advantage that can never be recovered from. I've always thought too that reversals should be worth two points. Precisely. If you look at ADCC, everything that the ADCC rule set is doing is is brilliant, right? A clean sweep from side control to side control is four points. A clean sweep to mount is four points. Uh, a takedown two side control, a takedown two mount is worth four points. Those make great sense, right? And then if you look at like neon belly, like any neon belly scores, and then now mount is worth two in ADCC, but it's worth the back control is worth three. So those points are a little bit more understanding than four and four because if guys are going to go from the back to mount, mount to back, you're down 16-0 and you're like, what the fuck just happened? But again, I don't know if you're if if you're a military veteran, but I'm sure that there's this tactic that has always been, you know, proven through time. And that is take the high ground, right? Not once did an army in the history of fighting go, you know what? Let's take the low ground and really surprise the shit out of them. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't make sense. You want the high advantage. So why would you, especially when strikes are involved? And now here's the concepts between sport jiu-jitsu and combat jiu-jitsu, right? I never want to pull guard in combat jiu-jitsu because it's the same thing as fighting uphill in an army. I never want to run uphill and think that the force that I'm going to generate from bottom up is going to be better than him having gravity on his side, generating force from top down. Now, here's the question I've got for you. The reality of the situation is jiu-jitsu culture is such that at most gyms, I mean, unless you really go hunting for it, you're probably just not going to get much training in the way of takedowns. And in fact, you're probably going to train with a bunch of butt scooters, right? Uh, a lot of gyms will just straight up not train stand up except on special occasions. And there's always an excuse because of space or safety or whatever. But if you're in that situation, so you're not maybe an elite athlete, you don't have the ability to move and go find a great gym, but you're just, you know, local hobbyist and you just want to be half decent to takedowns. But you're going to have to own this on yourself because your training partners and your your team, it's just not their focus. What can you do to really kind of advance and take yourself up to the next level and kind of get traction on building a good takedown game in jiu-jitsu? Uh, right now, like there's there's so much focus on, it's basically no-gi judo, right? Like 
you look at what B team's doing, you look at what J flow is doing out there at, at Legion, um, you know, uh, Michael Salazar, Sloan, Sloan climber, you know, even my buddy, Mike Wilson, who owns 10th planet Whittier, they all work with J flow and basically no gi judo is, is what I would steer you to because gi judo, if you do gi, right, you're most likely going to be a butt scooter. So there, it's going to help you in the long run. Anyways, judo takedowns are, you know, just as effective as wrestling takedowns. I had a judo guy, a judo black belt teach a seminar here in town uh, at 10th Planet Tucson. And he has been, he was an Olympic alternate. He's been on the world team. Uh, he was a Navy SEAL that came through town through jump school here. And one of my buddies was like, hey, he's only in town for like a couple of days. He's here for jump school. Uh, he wanted to know if you'd be interested in him teaching a class. I go, absolutely. And the guy didn't want any money, but I was like, hey guys, like this dude's, I saw his resume. If you guys can throw him 20, 30 bucks for the class that he's about to teach, I promise you won't be let down. Dude, he taught a fire ass class, but I did ask him. I go, hey, let me ask you a question. I go, Nogi Judo or wrestling? And he was like, every wrestler that I've ever gone up to has, has like beat the shit out of me. He's like, I've been able to catch them with a foot sweep every once in a while and put them on a knee or a hip. He's like, but I don't get, you know, I don't get clean e-pawns off of them. I don't get, you know, big throws off them. Their base is just too good. So if you're somebody looking to advance a takedown game that is pretty efficient, the foot sweep game from judo and some of the trips that they have uh, are, are, it's, I wouldn't say low impact, right? But it's not as intense as wrestling is. And then if, if you want wrestling, if you really want to learn shot, get, get to a local MMA gym Find out who teaches wrestling class, what time the class is, and really learn how to wrestle because wrestling in itself is going to give you a tenacity, a mindset, a, a a physicality that no other sport can give you. Yeah, and I think that actually is, a again, a really interesting cultural distinction between jiu-jitsu and wrestling. One of the things that I love about wrestlers is they tend to be kind of quiet, soft-spoken, hard-nosed people. They don't talk that much. They just do things. Whereas in jiu-jitsu, it's, again, it's very much more of a lifestyle thing. It's relaxed in a lot of ways. And that kind of trickles into the way people will train, where they will happily cede a poor position and then just try to play from there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because, I mean, look, when you're 50 plus years old, you probably want, if you're going to keep training, you want to take the low impact road and you can certainly still be effective enough to beat the average person in a fight if you're playing off the bottom, but you're a brown or a black belt. Absolutely. But I do think that in jujitsu, it it is often too relaxed and people are willing to just give up a, a bad position and work from there. I've recently changed my game a bit. I used to get really frustrated because all of those gi-based guards, I just, I struggle with them. I I don't have particularly strong grip strength. I'm not the biggest guy. And, you know, a really good passer is always going to make your life difficult if you go for a spider guard or something. And I found that now the thing that works best for me is I just go like butterfly to a low single. It's not fancy, but it works on everyone right up to black belts. It takes like no energy. And I kind of wish I'd focused on just going right into wrestling instead of trying to play the guard game a lot of the time because it just it's easier. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right, and that's like kind of one of the one of the systems that we play between is is we still I still teach traditional delahiva reverse delahiva uh, tripod spiral guard you know uh, nogi spider guard, but the thing is we have to have uh, two pulls and one push 
uh, two pushes and one pulls, meaning my, my, for tripod sweep, right? My foot's on the hip. My hand is controlling the, the Achilles and my other foot is controlling the back of the knee. So I have two pulls and my foot that's in the hip is the push. All of those allow you to create distance and sit up into a single at any time, right? Regular De La Hiva, I'm going to sit up and hit a head outside single. Reverse De La Hiva, I'm going to wrestle up and hit a head inside single. Tripod sweep, I can hit the tripod sweep or I can abandon my feet and sit right up into a single or a double. So all of those games are, are perfect for somebody that masters two, three, and above. Right, you're still playing a guard game where at any point you can go to that guard, or you can wrestle up and use momentum and the pendulum effect of your feet dropping down, your chest coming up, and you riding that momentum into a takedown. And this is actually an area where jujitsu and wrestling do have an interesting synergy. You, you brought up Delahiva guard, and this is one of my favorite examples. Um, when I play Delahiva, I tend not to go for Delahiva sweeps, right? Where you try to tie someone up and wobble them and get them get behind them. I just find it's very gi dependent. It's hard to pull off consistently, at least for me. Right. So I took a lesson from uh, Rob Bernacki from Island Top Team, and I use Delahiva almost like a jab. So I use the frame, my leg against their leg, to make space, to push them back a little bit, like a jab, just to manage the distance. And then I just get up into instep slash shin to shin guard and just go for a low single or something like that, right? Way easier. Yeah. Genius. Genius. Super efficient, way easier. And if and you're creating enough space that if they go to pass, you also have enough space to get your hips back and, and you know, kind of hit them with a turtle position or allow them to have front headlock, but nothing more. I also want to explore this with you. I mean, I, I love turtle. But jujitsu people are always crapping all over turtle, right? And usually the argument is, well, if you give up turtle, the person's one step away from taking your back. Tell that to fucking Eduardo Tez. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the thing I would want to get your your opinion on is what are your thoughts on turtle as a position? I mean, the common arguments against it are you're giving up your back or what if strikes are involved. But man, I think I think it's an essential position and I think people sleep on it a lot of the time. So turtle right now has been a focus pretty much every other week or every two weeks because of what it does for the ADCC rule set, right? Yes. In MMA, it's, it sucks because you always run the chance of getting, you know, five hold, which is there's, there's the punch, uh, over the left shoulder, the punch over the right shoulder. And then the five hole is underneath the armpit, which pops you right in your chin. I don't remember if, uh, I don't know if you remember, I know exactly what you're going to say. You're going to talk about Dan Henderson and Fedor, right? Yep. That's the five hole. That's the five hole. So you get five hole, bang. Okay. And then that those those open up you a lot because if you get five hole, your head's immediately fucking coming up and you're going to expose your neck. When using turtle, right? You have to, I would say you would have to definitely be a very, very experienced wrestler because we have so many uh, reversals, escapes, stand up from the bottom referee's position that, you know, wrist control, Grambies, uh, sit out switches, sit out and faces, uh, sit out, switch, stand up. There's so many things that wrestlers understand. I just posted on my Instagram yesterday, uh, me and my, one of my, my oldest students, um, I played turtle a lot on him and he was trying to go spiral ride. He was trying to open me up. He was trying to put hooks in. Every time he put one hook in, I would grab the heel and pull it out. 
Uh, every time he would break me down to a hip, I would stay tight. I would work back to my knees, back to my elbows, let nothing in. I would allow him to have seatbelt. I would allow him to have underhooks, but never a hook on the leg. Now, anytime he went to my wrists and removed chest pressure from my scapulas, my head and chest was up and I was fucking standing up and looking to get out. He did a great job because he's also a college wrestler, controlling my hips, breaking me back down, waiting till I turned into him and then level changing to a double leg again. Uh, but again, you hit one or two of the scrambles on a regular ass jujitsu guy and he's, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to chase you. Uh, that's a lot of energy. I don't want to have to do that. Right. You got to come back to me and engage in my guard anyways, or you got to, uh, you know, you're going to come back to me and sit down and I'm going to try to pass on you anyway. So when you, I've been telling this to all my students, the moment that you want to take a step backwards, let's say you're passing somebody's guard and you just can't get past and you're going to have that moment of, fuck, I'm going to put my head on my hips. I'm going to take a step backward. I'm going to try to think about how to do this next. That guy on bottom needs you to take that step backwards. I implore you to take one or two more steps forward and try again, try again until you get past and you will get past that guard. It's always a lot harder for the bottom person to maintain position than it is for the top person to circle around towards the head, pull the ankles out of the way, clear the knees and set, uh, solidify, you know, the pass. I think a mistake a lot of jujitsu people make is they're so comfortable with the guard that they're happy to just settle in and play it. You know, so it's, there's almost like this unspoken rule where the person on the bottom sits down and then the person on the top says, oh, well, jujitsu etiquette says now I have to walk into your guard and we have to play guard. And we have to do this dance. No, I, I'm going to, I, I, if I can just stay athletic and just do, stay on the balls of my feet, circle around the north south, you're going to have to turn and face me, or you can play inverted guard and I can just push your ankles and push your knees down to the mat and fall to north south. But if, if you ha are having trouble passing the guard, uh, I would say add some ladder drills to your footwork workouts. Very basic ladder drills, the shit that football players do, okay? And that's going to give you the same kind of look that Hoffa and Gui Mendez have when they pass the guard. They step in, they step in, they step out, they step out, they step in, right? It's in, in, out, out, in, in, out, out. It's just like an icky shuffle. You know, I, I love that you bring that up because for the longest time, I remember back in my earlier training days, I just couldn't pass guard. I was just having a lot of trouble with it. And I was looking for this like perfect technique. I was wondering, man, if I could just figure out the perfect guard pass, I'd be unstoppable. And eventually I was rolling with my coach one day and he said, Steve, just like, don't worry about that. Just do some fucking footwork. You know, just don't stand still and try to do techniques. Do some dancing, you know, hip switch, move your feet, never let the person settle into a position where they could just latch their grips onto you and hold you there. It if you walk into someone's guard, you're playing their game. And especially in the gi, man, that's a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, like Marcelo Garcia said, man, you're going to study my game. You're going to answer my game. I want to be as far away from your fucking game as possible. Here, I'm going to give you just a real quick little thing to do, okay? I'm going to circle to my right. I'm going to give an old good football juke to the left. And I'm going to continue to circle to my right and watch how much ground you gain past somebody's knees and guard. Circle to your left, give a quick juke back to the right, circle back to your left and watch how much ground you gain on, on passing someone's guard. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of comes down to what you were talking about earlier, just masking your intentions, just never making it too clear what you're doing, just little directional switches. 
this is something that wrestlers do great. They're very good at little directional switches and pivots. Whereas I find a lot of jujitsu people, especially at the beginner level, they just want to do a sweep. Yeah. They're, they're not really setting it up in any meaningful way. They're just trying to follow the steps, right? And that's not really... You're, you're better having good movement than you are reciting the steps most of the time. Yeah. And, and you know, like... I, everyone asks me like, well, co- they they come up with me with these zip drives or 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 these things. They're like, here, coach, this is the newest uh, Danaher instructional. I was like, I don't I don't watch instructional. I've watched. You want to know the only instructionals I've ever watched? I watched Eddie's mastering the rubber guard and mastering the lockdown because I had to to open up a tenth planet. Outside of that, I don't watch shit for instructionals. You want to know what I watch? I watch live matches and I watch everything that they do when the like. The other person is trying not to have you do that. Okay. Because if I have this mentality, this is, this is old, old school mentality, right? When I go to teach a seminar, I teach 90% of the details of the technique, right? When I come back home, I teach my students 95% of the details of the technique. And then I say 5% so I can beat the shit out of my students still. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that, that's just an old school, you know, Sensei rule. Teach 90, teach your students 95, keep five for yourself so you're still up. Now, hey, one last thing I want to pick your brain on, and you touched on this earlier, is just general conduct. This, again, I think is an area where jujitsu people stand to learn a lot. It's funny because jujitsu people will tell you that this is a martial art and the art is beautiful and, you know, we're making humble warriors and all of that. But then they'll just act like children. There's drama, there's trash talking. And again, one of the things I love about wrestlers is they'll just quietly shut up and do it. And that's it, right? They, they don't feel the need to, to talk up the big game. Do you think there's something about the wrestler mindset that lends to that? And is that something that jujitsu people could learn from? I want to meet the quiet wrestlers that you're talking about, bro. We got some we're loudmouth Mexicans out here in Tucson. I don't know if you've seen it, but <laughs> me and my me and my first black belt will tell you everything that we're gonna do to you and then some. <laughs> Your humility is it might be escaping me as well. But I do agree that uh sometimes these jujitsu guys get a little big for their britches and they talk to MMA guys like we're beneath them and we're like, hey dude, remember I'm gonna fucking punch you. I'm not gonna allow you to bear and bolo and spin underneath me without punching you in your nose while you're in inverted panda guard or whatever the fuck I'm going to hit you multiple times. I want to see how your jujitsu works. You know, obviously there's, you know, tremendous black belts that do MMA like Jacare and, and, you know, uh, uh, Damian Maya and, and, you know, the list goes on and on, but at Charles Oliveira, Jesus Christ. But the majority of these dudes in the gyms, they got attitudes are not those guys. Because those guys know they can do that, so they don't have to act like that. I think some of the some of the disrespect uh, is is kind of just due to that thing that I said, right? Is like some of these guys were kids that got picked last on the playground. They found jujitsu, they got good, and then they got cool. Usually, the wrestler is already somebody that wrestled at the top level. They're already cool. They found jujitsu, and then they got good. There's a difference in shift of mentality when dealing with the superpower of jujitsu that you attained, right? Because sometimes you can be Mr. Incredible or you can be that ginger headed fuck, uh, you know, Sinestro or whatever his name is that, you know, created all this weaponry and he had superpowers. He didn't have to earn it. He didn't have to do these things in a certain way. And this ego problem that happens in, 
I just commented that jujitsu has the most haters in any sport anywhere that I've ever fucking seen. Recently, I, I run and manage the Tucson Jiu-Jitsu Community Facebook group. There's a tournament that is happening on October 7th on the south side of the city. There is a tournament that is happening the same day, October 7th, Central City. One of the fucking guys keeps reporting the other guy, and the other guy has had his Facebook reported six times. And everyone's like, if anyone could help me out, and I go, I can tell you this right now. You don't need to be a fucking genius. I can go, I can tell you right now, I own Bullpen Submission Series, and we don't have a tournament on October 7th, so it ain't us. And he's like, yeah, I hate to have to deal with that truth, but it's kind of shitty, you know? And I was like, dude, you know, my motto has always been a rising tide raises all ships. And the more jujitsu, the better. Either one of you guys could change the date by a weekend and still get the participation. Like, I don't know why the ego is like, well, I got to stay on October 7th. Just go October 14th, seven days later. You'll be fine, I promise. But I think um, so Matt Kaplan just responded to something and said, we are promoting based off a of skill level in jujitsu and not being off of good people uh, because then teachers and, and nurses and all these people would be brown and black belts, right? And that that was like, I kind of got mad at that. And I was like, no, dude, like you're a martial artist. You're supposed to have respect, discipline, fucking understand when to shut your mouth when, you're, when your superior is talking to you, when your leader is talking to you. Understand that you do not have to always be right. Understand? And then I'm, as I'm saying this to myself, I'm like, oh, damn. I don't always have to be right. I don't always have to have something to say. Not everyone wants to hear or listen to what I'm about to say. So I think all of us could learn uh, a little bit of something from the wrestling community because yeah, there, there is a, like I said, it's a sport that will humble you in ways and make you realize like, I'm going to have to fight for my spot every single day. I don't, I am owed fucking nothing in this sport i deserve nothing until i've worked my ass off for it and with jiu-jitsu you don't have that if you're a brown belt with four stripes and there's a brown belt with one stripe you get the spot because you're the senior right and that brown belt with one stripe could be a fucking demon but you didn't earn it yeah you're talented but you didn't earn it with time and i think that people forget that no matter what uh there's always a bigger shark there's always a bigger fish in the pond. And I think with wrestling, with knowing that every week you're going to have to wrestle off for your spot or every two weeks, you got to re-solidify and, you know, re-establish your dominance as the varsity wrestler. You, you, you get pretty humble. You know what I mean? And, and you don't, uh, you don't feel like you're entitled to the spot or you're entitled to something because you know, you've worked your ass for it. Uh, worked your ass off for it with the sprints that you do, the conditioning that you do. You have to be more conditioned than the guy that's going for the spot. You have to be more technical. So you drill more, you work harder. Anybody that works harder for something is going to feel, uh, you know, deserving and earning of that. And I feel like that concept get lo gets lost in jujitsu.
Yeah, I I would agree. Uh, I think there's a tendency to worship the black belt too much. You talked about this earlier and about how in in wrestling so much of so much of what's done is based on merit, whereas in jujitsu, and I, I know this is just a martial arts thing, but people put way too much weight on the belt. I mean, look, I I have a black belt. I can speak from experience. Getting a black belt is not that impressive, right? Coaches will tell you out there that they have the highest standards and only the best of the best get black belts. And look, that's bullshit. 99% of the coaches out there will give you a black belt if you've been there for like somewhere between 10 to 15 years. Um, It's really not that hard. That's why there's that saying about how a black belt is just a white belt who never quit. Literally, you just keep showing up. Wrestling doesn't have that right in wrestling. You don't get a you know, you don't get to go to the top of the podium. You don't get to be a D1 wrestler just because you kept showing up. Yeah, you could get you could keep showing up and suck for fucking every day for 365 days (laughs) and you'll never get that varsity spot just because you showed up. Yeah, yeah. So look, I mean, I don't want to take away from anyone's accomplishments sticking with something that long to get a black belt. Yeah, it is a big deal, but let's not act like you're like the ultimate badass just because you have a black belt. Right. And I think sometimes, you know, we say that that jujitsu humbles people. I don't know. Right. You see some people with these black belts and you think, I think this just gave a bully the confidence to be a bigger bully. And I'm not sure if that's the direction we want out of the sport. That's a lot. That's not I. I see that with a lot of guys in the sport. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, buddy, I know you got to run. Thanks so much for coming by. Anything you want to plug or how can people follow you or check out your stuff? Uh, yeah, so um, you guys can follow me on Instagram. It's at A Burchak MMA, A-B-I-R-C-H-A-K-M-M-A. Um, same on Facebook. Uh, I just I just signed with ECB Sports Management. I've been retired from MMA for the last two years. My last UFC contract didn't go the way I wanted it to. It left a bad taste in my mouth, man. And I, and I want to go out on my terms. I want to I wanna leave this sport on some wins and I want to win another belt, you know? I'm super happy to announce that. I'm super optimistic to continue the journey as a mixed martial artist. I, I'm just, if you guys can check us out, man, follow 10th Planet Tucson at 10P Tucson at 10P T-U-C-S-O-N. You guys can check out the techniques that I put up. Every Friday night, I do a free wrestling class for the the Tucson Jiu-Jitsu community. I get about 40 or 50 kids from all around the city, 10 different academies, absolutely free just to give back to the sport that's given so much to me. If you guys, sometimes we'll go live. Sometimes we just post techniques of the week. Um, If you guys want to learn a little bit more about wrestling and wrestling for Jiu-Jitsu, I definitely suggest you follow me and follow the 10th Planet Tucson uh, where those techniques can be seen. Awesome. Amazing, man. Well, to make things easy, I'll put all of those links in the show notes. I'll also put a link to our stuff. Everything's at bjjmentalmodels.com. Tons of podcast episodes, our awesome newsletter. And that's where you can also sign up for a premium service. So if you want more in-depth audio style masterclass courses with some of the best minds in the sport, if you want to be coached by world champ black belts, get on premium. There's a seven day free trial. So again, link in the show notes or just pop open your browser and go to bjjmentalmodels.com for everything we do. But Anthony, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate having you by. This was a fun one. Yeah, dude, this was this was awesome. And, and like, like I'm, I'm starting up. If you guys need more help, just DM me. I, I, I want to do my subscriptions on, on IG. I want to start blowing those up. If you guys have any technique questions, any wrestling questions, any wrestling for jujitsu, uh, even just regular jujitsu questions, uh, just DM me. I usually just give out information and techniques for free. I'm really bad about that, but wrestling has given me so much jujitsu now has made my life what it is today that it would be shitty of me to charge 
for these techniques that have existed and, and the combinations are unique to me maybe, but I love teaching people. That's my greatest passion. So giving back to the community, giving back to people that are, that are inquisitive and want to better their game. I'm all about that. And, and all you guys got to do is just DM. Amazing, man. Well, again, links in the show notes, but thanks a lot, Anthony, for coming by and thanks to the listeners as well. Really appreciate it. Steve, amazing show, man. Thank you. You're most welcome, buddy. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. 